Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. What's up? Everything is up today. Oh, is that what? No, I don't know. I was just said that because I always say nothing's up. My glucose is up. I just inhaled two pieces of pizza. Some of it literally went in through my ear and nose. Somehow they're connected to my stomach. They, I can't dig it out. It's, it's in. I'm, I'm glad they are. <laughs> ah! So, uh, oh, have pass me that Adderall quickly. Yeah, I have, I have pizza. Thank you. My guest today. This is big time. It's his first podcast ever. It's uh, not my son, although that would be a get if I could just get Max. <laughs> I've tried to trick him over to the show. I've told him that uh, famous people are here because Obama, he's heard the Obama entry. He goes, how do you know Obama? He's not, he's not, with, he's not fully with it. But uh, I can't, this is the only guest I want that I can't get is my son, who's snub, snub, snub. But I did get Rishi Khanna. And if you say it fast, he's, it's like Madonna. He has one kind of name. It flows off the tongue. I've known Rishi for a long time. Uh, a fintech guy, hedge fund guy, data guy. And about a year ago, we convinced him, the board, to uh, come aboard at StockTwits. He's been CEO of StockTwits now, I think, since February. And just right. running a fine-tuned machine. You would know more than me. What do you, you Oh, I talk agree to completely. Me. He's, yeah, no. He's blackballed me. Yeah, he tries not to talk to you too much, but he's he <laughs> I'm g- like doesn't ex- give an exception for today's podcast. So you've tricked him into coming on. Does he know that I'm actually interviewing him? No, he thinks he's me. Perfect. So uh, Rishi Khan is here. He's uh, right at the heart because of COVID. Like when the things started going up and to the right for people in my world, like we've been building a community and grinding out organic, beautiful little growth for years, and then <laughs> hockey stick. And uh, he can maybe explain some of it, but also talk about the markets and data and, and fintech in New York. And it's fun for me to see StockTwits doing well. So it's like fun. To, uh, Rishi and I have these great conversations about uh, the markets and strategy. And uh, so let's get them on. Will do. Hello. Hello. Is this Howard? Yes. Who's watching the streams if you're here? <laughs> no one. It's a free-for-all right now. So what's it like? A first podcast. You're very uh, antisocial. You're a social guy, but you're not like uh, social media. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, a media person. Uh, I don't, I don't, I was telling uh, Knut, I'm like, I'm not sure I got more than 10 minutes of content for you here. Well, um, you don't have to talk. You can just listen to Howard. Well, I mean, hey, listen, we all like that. Um, but it's, it's a big day in the Kana household because it's not only my first podcast today, it's my wife's first podcast today as well. So like randomly, it completely uh, coincidental. She's she doing one story. or started one? She recorded one. Yeah, she was a guest on her first podcast uh, for her. Uh, you know, she I, I think I told you she has a executive coaching, a new coaching business called Mindful Excellence. So she was on for that. The Kana Hustle, you are in the heart. You're kind of like a, a New York story, a COVID story, because you're like heart of New York. You're in Tribeca, two kids, yep. young kids. The missus is in brick and mortar. I, I mean, Macy's is, is both, but with brick and mortar, right? Mostly. Well, yeah, she left Macy's. No, I know. In, but to she, start her. Yeah, but she was. Yeah. yeah. Heart, I mean, yeah, she saw the full fallout at Macy's. Right? Yes, yeah. she was there. We used to joke about it in Italy. 
and uh, <laughs> the and then the you found a place outside the city. Was it? But it was pre-COVID that you found a place and said, "Fuck it, we we want to do it." Or was it COVID that drove it? I forget. No, it was pre-COVID. We, I mean, our timing was just, you know, we got super lucky, right? We, uh, we've been thinking about doing, uh, you know, a house out of the city just uh, to get away to um, upstate and farm country. And uh, we happened to close at the end of December, literally. And uh, turns out then we ended up uh, having the opportunity to be able to, you know, get out of New York for a few months and get up there, um, you know, more space. You know, no one knew what was going on. Obviously, New York in March and April was, um, you know, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, you know, uh, scariness for people. And so you run uh, Stock Twist, your CEO, and you live mm-hmm. in the city, you obviously have the place outside the city, and it's and now you go back into the office occasionally yourself. What is it? I do. So, like, from person, from a New Yorker at heart, um, a New Yorker in spirit, what does yeah. the world look like from from the beast? You know, it's, uh, it is not a ghost town. Uh, the the demise of New York is uh, highly exaggerated, um, but it's not. You know, I mean, it is definitely. There's a lot of businesses that are hurting. A lot of people that you know are out of work. Uh, you know, we have a big um, hospitality and restaurant industry. But what I will say is, you know, the energy is there. And frankly, I mean, you know, even the partial energy of New York compared to you know other cities in the U.S., I'd still put it up even what, where we're at today with 50 percent or whatever we might be at. Um, residential neighborhoods, the outdoor dining has been an amazing experience. We've been lucky with weather, um, but, you know, just being able to be around people and get the energy of New York and, you know, the excitement of what makes New York, New York um, is, is still there. And uh, in, in the residential neighborhoods, like where we live downtown and, you know, the village and Soho, I know, um, you know, your stomping grounds when you come in, uh, you would love it. Like, it'd be great. I know. I love it. I'm just scared. I'm not scared to come out. I'm fucking not scared of COVID, but I'm scared of just not being able to experience it the way it's supposed to be with my friends and like walking around carelessly and bumping into people and like running into a (laughs) store and buying, you know what I mean? And just the freedom. When I think of New York and Soho and Union Square and Gramercy, I just think of, whoop, freedom. No, you know, someone spits in my face. Oh, it's just part of the deal. Now it'd be like, oh, I'm protected. Go spit. It'll bounce right off my deflector. It's just not the same. (laughs) Knowing that I may taunt somebody into spitting at me for kicks. The, so with the kids going back to school, how hard has that been in New York? Um, we've been fortunate. I mean, so we have, uh, you know, uh, our almost three-year-old, she was starting preschool. Um, that was probably the biggest thing that our, my wife and I wanted to make sure we had is that she would be able to go to preschool and, you know, uh, doing that over zoom would have not worked at all. So, you know, she's in school five days a week. That's uh, fortunate. Our older daughter is doing the whole hybrid thing, right? So there she's two days a week, uh, in person. And then the other days are remote. Yeah. I think every kid adapts differently. So we're lucky that Emerson, um, you know, she's pretty good on the laptop and on Zoom. Um, you know, she's gotten really good at the whole whole setup and whatnot. You know, she's definitely not learning nearly as much, right? So we're trying to figure out ways to, you know, make sure we keep her challenged and everything. But, you know, it's we, we've, again, we were super lucky the way it's worked out for us and with, with Isla being able to go to school full time. Uh, the craziest story that came out of that is my preschooler, her teacher, I randomly, we, we bumped into each other. She went to high school with me in Rochester, New York, nowhere near New York city. And so that's kind of funny. So going into the office, like what, like what's your stance on that? Um, I, you know, by no means do I ask anyone else to do it. Um, my stance is, you know, we are, we've moved to a remote first organization, right? So it would not be a requirement anyways. 
Um, I do it because I think, A, I'm the only one coming in. So we have plenty of space and there's like nobody else in the building either. And from a productivity and, you know, kind of perspective of all the things, you know, I'm on calls most of the day and, you know, from partners to, you know, yourself to team members and, and whatnot. So, you know, for my ability to kind of make sure I can, you know, kind of keep pushing forward for a stock to it. So it's just, it, it's better at the office. Um, I haven't gotten to the point where I'm taking the subway yet, I'll be honest, right? So I'm not doing that. But uh, other than that, you know, for me, it's been okay, but by no means do I ask anybody else to come in. What has surprised you the most being both operating a business in New York with people and running a community and the markets? What's like stood out the most? What has surprised me the most? About the markets um, and about just behavior online and stuff on stock tips. What, like, what surprised you the yeah. most since COVID, since the panic? I mean, I think the the resiliency, right? Um, you know, the obviously March was you know the free fall, right? I mean, I don't remember exactly when the bottom of the market was in March, yeah. but like the resiliency of kind of the community, you know, you know, obviously we're focused on the do-it-yourself investor, the retail investor, and trader. Um, you know, they got back into it and they, you know, engaged even more and even further. Uh, now, part of it was, hey, there was nothing else to do, right? Like, literally, there was uh, almost like no fear, like, hey, let's get in. And whether it was, you know, people like to say, oh, they learned from 07 or 08, 09 kind of thing, uh, maybe. Um, but uh, just the sheer resiliency, you know, I mean, our obviously, you know, traffic went up tremendously starting, you know, kind of in March and the engagement, uh, you know, on all the various streams, uh, you know, whether it was talking about Tesla to, you know, a couple of months ago when Kodak had their big day, uh, people did not abandon the markets, right? And I think everyone thought retail was going to go away. They were going to go away. Okay, this is a blip. This is a blip. And it stuck around. It stuck around and it's still sticking around, right? I mean, you know, people have learned and we've, you know, I think COVID accelerated people's interest and they've, you know, and the resiliency of, of that, of the community, you know, uh, of the team too, right? I mean, our, our ability to deal with it and kind of uh, fight through all the stuff that was going on uh, from March onwards. Yeah, pretty amazing. And then what is your thoughts about, uh, as someone who has a, a tenant in commercial lease, what is your opinion of New York as that goes on, like, what are, what are you seeing? What do you think? That's going to hurt, right? I mean, I think that's that's probably between commercial, you know, kind of office space, but even like, you know, commercial retail, right? Storefronts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you probably remember, even up until now, I mean, the rents have gotten so ridiculous in New York City for, you know, kind of restaurants and, you know, the mom and pop, like, you know, the non, you know, Starbucks, right? The non-national chains that had big corporations behind them. And you see a lot of empty storefronts in the West Village, you know, on Bleecker Street, which used to be when I first oh, moved here. My like, favorite. That, that, yeah, I mean, when I first moved here in 99, like that, there was no vacancies on that yeah. block, right? Like, yeah. I mean, all the stores are full. And now it's, I don't know, probably even before COVID, it was probably like 50, 40, 50% vacancy. So I'm not bullish in the long term, or I mean, sorry, in the short term. Um, that being said, I do wonder if, you know, the flight to, oh, we're going to be remote first and, you know, do all that. And listen, I said it too, we are uh, going to be remote first. We're smaller. It's easier, I think, for us to do it and build that foundation. But I, I, my, my gut is that, you know, people's memories are short and, you know, let's say, if we are dealing with COVID through, you know, next year, you know, within two years after that, 
you know, kind of 2025 kind of time frame, I, I think people forget and offices will come back and people will, you know, maybe they'll be configured differently. Maybe we'll get away from the open floor seating, but I think commercial is going to have a tough time. And, you know, who knows what the debt structures are like on these, you know, property owners, right? Like, it's not like they just put up the cash and they own these buildings, right? They've got layers and layers of debt probably. Uh, so, you know, unless the Fed keeps, you know, just wanting to backstop it all, which might happen. Yep. And, but people do want to come in the office because you'll go in and people will show up. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, th- there's definitely you know, kind of two types of people. I mean, there's more than two, but, you know, even on our team, uh, we definitely have a bunch of folks that would prefer to be in the office. Now, they don't want to get to the office, maybe. So that's why they're not coming in, but they would prefer to work in an office environment out of their apartment, right? Um, But then there's also those that, you know, have a longer commute. I think, you know, the people that have the hour and a half plus commutes, you know, you get three hours back of your day by being able to work from home. That's a lot of time of your waking hours. And this is not your first rodeo. So let's now, you know, CEO of StockTwits, you know, we knew each other a while, but let's go back in yeah. your career in New York and fintech. What, what, how did you get your start in fintech? How did I get, uh, so I took, you know, I did my first startup I did in 99 was not in fintech. That was actually in like content and commerce. Um, but after that, you know, went under, kind of folded up uh, from the dot-com days, I actually, I, you know, I'm an engineer by background. I'm a CS and double E. And so I took a job at a small uh, data visualization software company. So we were actually building heat maps for like Bloomberg, uh, NASDAQ, you know, was using, I was heading up the web development for our web-based product. So NASDAQ's 100, they used like the software. I wrote and they actually used it for like 10 years before they even changed the code. Um, And uh, so that's kind of where I got my start uh, at this small shop. Uh, It was called NeoVision back in the day. And this was was uh, a great NeoVest. That was a great product. You remember NeoVest? I think I used NeoVest. Was that a division of it, the trading software or no? No, no. We were, it was just heat maps technology. We were embedded in a lot of places. Um, And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, but I ended up leaving the air and I ended up at Gerson Lehrman Group, um, which, you know, uh, I ended up at Gerson Lehrman Group uh, in January of 03 when it was probably about 45-ish or so people. Um, and that was an amazing opportunity. I, you know, I started there as a developer, but ended up kind of uh, getting my hands in all parts of that business operation and, uh, you know, growing this expert network from, you know, we grew from 45 people in 03 to when I left in 07, I think we were 800 plus and, you know, revenue had... 10 or 15 X. And, you know, it was a, it was a great kind of organization. It really, I think highlighted to me what a strong early team and great, like, you know, the hiring that we did, you know, those first hundred people, I mean, I still am very close friends with many of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and that's actually how we met, right? Yeah, we met, met through, through Moon. Dave Moon. Yeah. yeah. Just Mr. Moon. The Mooney. Yeah. So, Mooney. but there are so many good people in product and sales there. I mean, they are the social network for connectivity of like, plug me in now. I'll yeah. pay to, I'll pay to be plugged in. Is that basically it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll pay to like kind of educate me, right. Um, whether you want to get educated on biotech or semiconductors, right. Or Asian policy, right. Who knows? Um, it was a great, uh, I mean, it still is great. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I actually just got a GLG alumni email, the first one yesterday from GLG itself, but uh, they've grown. They still keep on growing. But after GLG, right? I mean, we had grown and in 07, I ended up uh, becoming the co-founder of a company called Novus, yep. um, which is a portfolio intelligence platform for LPs and GPs. Our um, 
you know, our initial focus there was how do we help LPs better invest in hedge funds? There wasn't a lot of transparency back in 07, you know, in the hedge fund world. And this is when the markets were ripping. And, you know, the thesis there was uh, LPs didn't have a lot of understanding of their exposures on a look-through basis and their risk, real risk. Um, And a lot of it was just qualitative, subjective, you know, kind of storytelling, right? Um, And not very data-driven. And we wanted to change that. We wanted to give LPs the same tools that hedge funds had when they were investing in stocks kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, I didn't know that was kind of because that is like a humongous market. So it's a little bit like, no, I mean, a little bit like it's a fraction of what GLG was. It was just just more fine tuned around matching people. Yeah, it was much more around the portfolio analytics, right? So where GLG was more about kind of knowledge and information, right? And less data driven. And whereas, you know, Novus was more about, you know, think about, you know, how you, when you were running your hedge fund, how you had the tools at your fingertips, or even today, like, you know, you have tools like Coifin and whatnot at your fingertips to be able to analyze stocks and companies. Um, that wasn't available for hedge funds, right? How do you know, just because they, okay, great. They tell you their three-year returns, right? They give you monthly return streams. That's all you had back then, right? You didn't you know how they were making the returns and yeah. Right. What was, what was the drivers of that, right? Like, was it one position? Did they have one awesome bet on, you know, credit default swaps or, you know, were they really good at, you know, kind of idea selection and portfolio management, right? Uh, and it only gets more complex, right? As you get into private equity and venture capital and credit and, you know, all the different asset classes that they can go to, right? And today I can only imagine now you throw in crypto and we'll see what happens there And, uh, you know, at the institutional level, um, you know, so, you know, my thing was, hey, how do we give these LPs the same firepower to like, you know, be smart about their investing in a lot of the same ways of how do we help, you know, our Stocktwits community learn and educate themselves and how can we give them more to, you know, just be able to be educated in how they're making their investments and trading. So Novus is still around and then you went to run a division of what's the name of the company? Um, I ended up at SSNC. Uh, yeah, so SSNC, big public company, um, the largest fund administrator in the world and one of the larger um, software providers and um, was fortunate to come in and, you know, uh, ran a number of the business units, again, focused on the software and technology that powers the back offices of a lot of private equity, venture capital, family offices, you know, LPs, as well as then the investor relations side. So I also got to partake in, um, you know, we acquired Intralinks while I was there, which is one of the biggest uh, virtual data room providers, right, for fundraising. And uh, that was a great process too. And I got to run that alternative side of that business. So uh, yeah, I was there from January of 18 till December of 19. Wow. And so we, we sat down a bunch of times before COVID and I said, you know, you throw your hat in here. What was it about StockTwits that intrigued you? You know, I think, and I've, I've told this to a lot of people, I think, um, you know, I've known about StockTwits obviously a long time um, uh, for many, many years. And I thought like there was just so much more opportunity with StockTwits, right? I mean, I think you guys uh, over the years have done a great job of organically growing like this great community, right? Um, and, you know, it started off slow and, you know, things build over time and, you know, that growth was accelerating on the community front, but there's so much more to give to the users, right? So much more value to deliver beyond just allowing them to connect, you know, from a kind of social feed and social streams perspective, you know, how do we enrich like the conversations that are happening there? How do we, you know, help either educate them more, or entertain them more and, allow them to connect in different ways. And so I just thought like the potential was so much larger than what was being realized. And that was the exciting part, 
right? And, and, and I think everyone agreed with that, right? That uh, obviously, you know, we all think there's so much more um, for Stocktwits to achieve and do for the community, both here in the U.S., where we're primarily concentrated today, but even, you know, internationally. Yeah. And so on the international front, what, uh, like, I just think in a world where fractional ownership exists, in a world where, you know, as badly as we all joke about the U.S., we're the uh, best house in a globally shitty neighborhood. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and everybody wants Tesla and no one really can gauge what the true supply demand and balance is for U.S. stocks and, and not just right. all U.S. stocks, just certain U.S. stocks. Um, where does international fit in, do you think, to the plan? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, one of the exciting things just yesterday, we had uh, we just had our new VP of international uh, start with us. He's based out of Singapore. And, um, you know, we're going to be focusing on launching kind of, uh, you know, our strategy in India, Australia, probably UK and a few other countries. But I'm really bullish on international for one, for the reason that you said right there is, you know, even if we're not worried about covering the international markets, just the interest in the US stock markets, right? In the names that you said, because those are global names, right? Everyone's on a Facebook product somewhere, right? Everyone's using Apple or Apple in some way or Amazon in some way. You know, Tesla is, you know, everyone's you know, whether you're, you love it or hate it, it's everyone's kind of favorite name to talk about in a lot of ways. And so the, the demand from countries all over the world, I mean, I was talking to, you know, a few folks in Mexico a couple of weeks ago that, you know, we know in common, their demand for U.S. stocks is pretty high, South America. Um, so I think just that leg alone of how do you connect community and, and globally to talk about the U.S. markets and share ideas and, you know, just kind of learn and entertain uh, each other is one level. But then I think on top of that, you know, the local markets, right? I mean, there are definitively a number of countries uh, where there's good retail activity in their local markets, right? So again, whether it's the Australian stock market, the Indian stock market, you know, China is a massive retail community. Now we're not, you know, we're, we're going to be smarter about how we go into China at some point. I mean, there's a lot more layers there um, to think through and figure out. But you know, retail and local markets is huge too. But I think just, you know, there's a lot of shit in the world. You know, the U.S. stock market is probably the least shitty of options, um, especially in where else are you going to get any returns right now, right? I think that's how people think. So I I think that's exciting for us to kind of connect those dots because we really haven't done it yet. And with respect to the media, so in a world where we have all this engagement, how do you think about media for StockTwits? Yeah, so I've I, I think about media a lot, as you know, um, and I've been uh, giving myself a crash, you know, course over the last you know six nine months, whatever it's been, um, and really diving in, right? And I think for being a consumer platform, right, and focusing on the individual, I look at media is kind of how you connect how you kind of give them a entry into something, you know, that is more complex, you know, and and uh, a little harder to access, right? I mean, not everyone's going to jump into a feed in a stream and start sharing their ideas right away. That's just not how social works and, and you know, uh, content works, you know, from a user-generated side. But, you know, media to me is how do you give people what they're looking for where they are, right? I think that's the big difference today. Whereas, you know, when uh, I was growing up, you were growing up, there weren't that many places you looked. You looked at your newspaper and you had like three, four, five channels. Cable came around in the 80s. Great. You had a lot more channels, Right. 
But today, you know, we are everywhere, right? Whether it's podcasting, whether it's YouTube, whether it's, you know, TikTok now, Instagram stories, Snapchat stories, um, those are all forms of media. Gaming is a big form of media, right? Um, and so for, I think, StockTwits, our focus is, you know, community gives us the engagement. And, you know, we're fortunate to have an amazing community, growing community, highly engaged community. But we also have a lot of new users coming every day. And media is our tool to be able to onboard them and give them, you know, content and value uh, right off the bat without having to learn a lot, right? And and there's a lot of people that will never want to engage with streams, right? And we want to meet them where they are. And that's what media allows us to do. So I'm really bullish on our, you know, kind of our opportunities from a podcasting world, uh, from a, you know, just video and audio in general. Um, I think the unique thing about finance, which maybe only sports shares, is that live matters, right? So where else does live matter, right? I mean, literally, it's just the markets and sports. Maybe breaking news, I'll give you that if you want to put that in a separate bucket. But other than that, everything else is time shifted and, you know, you don't, live doesn't matter. But in in the markets, live matters. And so I think that'll be, you know, a fun, big opportunity for us. You know, we're focusing on building a team around that and growing that opportunity in the coming, you know, days, weeks, months kind of thing. But it's, you know, for us, you know, I look at it as like, hey, that is the top of, you know, kind of the engagement and where we can reach the biggest audience. And then those that really want to engage further, we have the community for them to come through. And in the future, like what, uh, just putting your investing hat on as someone who kind of had the feeling to get out of New York or at least expand the family opportunity outside New York with a second home and do it and time that luckily, you know, for whatever reasons, you have that instinct. So you've got good instincts over your career. Is there something on page 10 that worries you as just a person living in New York and reading the headlines and watching the market and seeing the enthusiasm and all the new people coming in? Is there something that like the market is missing? Uh, is there something that you see like on page 10 that no one's thinking about that you worry about? Huh? That's a good question. Uh, I I do this for a living now. You know, turns out you do. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love when people do. Oh, good question. Isn't that the whole idea of this fucking podcast thing? I'm not just here. I feel uh, like I'm not not Jeffrey uh, Tubin over here. <laughs> I feel like I might be having my uh, Trump Leslie Stahl moment. I might have to storm out here. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Drop don't... your phone and get the hell out. Well, I mean, this I mean, is too are hard you, a question. Are, are you buying uh, stocks right here? Like, what worries you? Um, I have a very long, you know, I have a long time horizon. Right, I'm in my early 40s, um, so I think for my time horizons, right, I I'm a buyer still, right. You know, whether I think in the short term things are frothy or not, turns out doesn't really matter, right? I mean, I am a little bit of a, I've, I've probably been a little gun shy when I shouldn't have been over the last, you know, kind of six months just because I like have just been flabbergasted by the amazing resiliency of the market and investors and traders. But, you know, if you're looking at a long enough time horizon, I just think there's a lot of interesting um, opportunity. There's a lot more opportunity than there is risk. So coming up, some of the, the stuff that you're thinking about for StockTwits, right? We are a community. So tell me about some of the stuff you're doing. Oh, well, yeah. So uh, what I want to share is we are launching our first uh, charity poker tournament called uh, Chips for Charity. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that. We just actually launched uh, the website very recently. And, you know, we are uh, supporting an organization called Wall Street Bound to help diversify Wall Street. So Wall Street Bound, founded by this amazing founder, Troy Prince, uh, you know, helping to uh, educate and give opportunities to, you know, underrepresented youth, you know, black and brown kids uh, from New York. 
York City is where he's based right now uh, to give them access to, you know, the Wall Street jobs and opportunities and, and show them that, you know, it's the opportunities there for everybody. So we're super excited about that. You know, it's a great way, I think, for us to connect our community, right? I mean, obviously, you know, finance and poker kind of go well together. There's a lot of people that love poker. So we have the poker tournament coming up on November 21st, which is a Saturday. Uh, got a lot of great supporters already lined up and hoping to line a lot more up. Uh, you know, guys such as yourself and, you know, uh, longtime supporters of Stocktwits like JC and Josh Brown and Brian Portnoy and, you know, Jack Schwager and stuff. So we're pretty excited about um, that opportunity. And so uh, if you uh, if you're interested in poker, go out there, sign up, chipsforcharity.stocktwits.com. They do the shameless plug. Um, so we got that coming up. And again, uh, you know, fun way to connect our community, right? In these COVID times, you know, we're not getting out. You know, we have a great community that was doing a lot of meetups and stuff over the year. Uh, can't do that, you know, so much these days. So I'm hoping to use this as a tool. Um, and then, you know, from a product perspective, I'm not going to, you know, let all the cats out of the bag, but, you know, we have a lot of um, exciting elements from the content we're creating. We have a few uh, podcasters and new podcasts that we're lining up to kind of roll out um, and some new shows that we're, uh, you know, working to put together as well, but also, you know, giving the tools to our community to help them kind of connect uh, their portfolios to the platform to really understand, you know, kind of what's the activity going on in the markets? What is our community talking about? You know, what are they sharing? How how does that affect your portfolio, right? Whatever you hold, whether it's, you know, Tesla to Johnson and Johnson or the latest biotech SPAC that you might, uh, you know, yep. put your 10 bucks in. We want to, we want to be there, right? We want to be there uh, in all the ways uh, connecting our community. And where do you think of media and commerce? Like, you know, what Barstool did with e-commerce? Is there, is there anything exciting coming there? Yeah, I mean, we are, uh, you know, we've had, a, uh, for a long time, we've had an e-commerce platform at Stocktwits, right? And it's, Never been, I think, a core focus. Uh, it's been more of a, you know, at Stocktoberfest, hey, we give away some, you know, swag. And, you know, if you want to kind of follow up and buy it, great. Um, I think, you know, content and community build a brand, right? And as we expand our content out, we're going to build more brands around it. Um, and so commerce is a, is a natural evolution of giving people the opportunity to support the brands that they like, right? So whether it's, you know, hey, maybe we'll get some uh, panic hats up there, right? Like I, that's uh, why I'd wear a panic hat. Uh, I wear know, panic underwear. It's very there, absorbent. There you go. Very absorbent. That's where we're, we're going to have you be our uh, model our for the website. Say is prepared for panic with a picture of our panic hat should have a picture of an underwear. Like there's two there's two types. There's a black hat and a, and a well there's a brown hat and a white hat. Clean. clean there you panic, go. Dirty panic. We got to get you in on the merchandising team. There's so much to do. Is what's amazing is once you is this community to e-commercing is pretty cool to be around. I mean, I'm just shocked. Yeah. It's like an idea that I have gets better the longer I don't do it. Until like recently, an idea not done was a lost opportunity. Today, because of technology in the cloud, an idea not done just gets easier tomorrow. You know, brands that, like even with Stocktwits, like you come into Stocktwits and obviously you've just done a jujitsu job through COVID and everything. And, and I'm impressed and we all are, all you know, my friends and, and investors. But it's also just amazing surviving in a networked social world, how things can become stronger. Obviously you're going to have competition, but you know, everywhere, you know, the, the world continues to get competitive, but yeah. like the idea that like ideas get easier in many ways, maybe not to become big businesses, but just to do things has become easier. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, you know, technology is this amazing machine that keeps marching forward, whether, you know, we try to stop it or not, right? Uh, I remember building, you know, the first e-commerce platform I was doing back in 99 and connecting a credit card was the most painful thing, you know, in the world. Now you got, you know, company like Stripe and, and a ton of others where you can just, you know, that's an hour, maybe two hours of work. It's just fascinating. So, in terms of fintech, because you, you and I share decks and talk about the, the whole industry, not just investing, because we look at the whole universe and maybe you don't want to hear from me, but you get these decks all the time and ideas. Because uh, what what area of, of fintech is really interesting to you? Someone coming out of SS&C and being at GLG and starting your own company and understanding the hedge fund world, now understanding prosumers or, or retail investors around the world. What is exciting in fintech? To me, I mean, there's a ton that's exciting. Um from, you know, payments to enterprise SaaS to consumer, you know, trading. I think one of the interesting spaces is the impact of data and the convergence of whether you want to call it hedge funds or institutional and retail, right? Like you're seeing a lot more of these platforms come up. And, and there was a wave of these, I think, early 2010s or teens or whatever we call it, um, where uh, replication strategies, hedge fund strategies, you know, but for the retail world, uh, I think with the, you know, more free flow of data going on now and everything, you know, that's being unlocked. And to your point earlier of technology just getting easier and easier, there's the convergence of like the retail experience and in investing and the institutional hedge fund experience, like the line is being blurred. Like really the main line I think that's going to be left over time is the ability to raise capital, right? Who can, who can raise the big money and, you know, then lever it up, you know, who's to say that, you know, you couldn't start a hedge fund in your, you know, in your basement and, uh, you know, just kick it off. And, um, you know, have great strategies, get it out there via social, via Twitter and get people in it. So I think there's there's some interesting convergence that's going to happen there. And it's unlocking the potential of really retail, I think. And then, yeah, I mean, there's a ton more around, you know, data and stuff that I find interesting for the institutional world to streamline all the layers that are there. Right. Um, you know, even if you just think about your fundraising process for social leverage how much easier could that or should that be if you could just get the information out there and get the data like streaming right back in from LPs and, you know, and it's less of a kind of dog and pony show and more of a data driven and, you know, more personal connection. Awesome. And we're doing some of that stuff, right? You started pulling out data and creating that part section of the web. And I'm sure you're integrating that everywhere. Yeah, we're, I mean, small steps. We haven't, we got a lot more in us. Um, yeah, we have a new ranking section on the website, trying to, you know, unlock some of that potential. But yeah, we got a lot more work to do there to really uh, give our community back, you know, kind of the data that's being generated and help them, you know, kind of trade better, right? Awesome. Well, you uh, have had a tough year just, just being in New York and like everybody else dealing with just COVID and running a business. So I appreciate you taking the time coming on your first podcast how do you feel thank about you man it? yeah how do you feel about your first uh, you podcast? Know, let, let's see after after the editing's done uh if, 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 if i'm still on it i don't know uh <laughs> it was no, fun though I, I really uh no i appreciated it uh, it was a you know really good time all right buddy be well talk to you soon well i'll probably email you in about five all right, minutes buddy. yeah perfect all right talk to you soon <laughs> bye. bye there you go canute <laughs> you only got to meet well you've known rishi from stocktoberfest from all our events maybe I think we have met maybe once, but it's been a while since I've been to this Oktoberfest, but, but he and I have been uh, doing FaceTiming and stuff, so we're familiar with each other. Easy to get along with. Oh, great guy. Great yeah. guy. Well, you say that about everybody, so that's no, not data. No, he's really a great guy. 
I mean, he's super nice. And, uh, Compared to our last guy. And he's got, he got a, a great, great voice. Guy. He's got a great voice. Dude, he could be a podcaster. I know. That's not a good use of his time. He's an operator. Right. And a geek. And uh, really speeding up the product for us and slimming everything down and saying no to me a lot. Whew. Smart the only man. person to say is no more to him than me is my girlfriend in high school. <laughs> so it's been a while since I got said no to this much. Really? The uh, Alan just doesn't respond. I go, Alan, what's going on? And I ask, can I do this? She doesn't even respond. I go, oh, it's a new thing. She just doesn't even look. So this was uh, Panic with Friends. We do this twice a week. We uh, talk to founders, entrepreneurs, operators in the tech world, traders and investors. And uh, we timed this pretty well. March 11th, we started this show. The uh, market bottomed a week later. We call it Panic with Friends. It's kind of a joke about itself. We thought it was too late to panic. And we were right. And uh, But we don't know when the next panic will come. So tune in twice a week. You go to Spotify or Apple or whatever podcast app you like. Search my name. Search Panic with Friends. Search Stock Twits. Search Norway. Can you search Norway? Do we pop up yet? Have we said Norway enough in the podcast? You might. Search Norway. And it'll take you right to how to handle COVID in Sweden uh, from all those links. And um, punch subscribe. You'll get the uh, uh, an alert that our podcast is live. Uh, if you uh, like what I have to say, I got a free blog, howardlinson.com. And uh, we will uh, talk to everybody soon.